As the city's vaccination plan continues to roll out, higher education faculty and staff are not included in its early phases, even though some are teaching in close contact with students on campus. Here's what we know so far. We have new details on Columbia's new social justice initiative that pushes the college's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Have you been missing Sue the T-Rex? The Field Museum is now reopened to the public. Here's what people had to say after visiting the museum for the first time in two months. This is Chronicle Headlines. I'm your host, Paige Barnes. Chicago is no stranger to protests. From the Chicago race riot of 1919 to the current Black Lives Matter protests, Chicago is at the heart of the fight of racial equality. These are the chants of just one of the many student-led protests demanding change. In response, Columbia's new social justice initiative is part of the push for social change within the college's academic and creative spaces. It will provide a chance for the college community to talk about the role of social justice and creative spaces and creatives making social change. Here to explain what SJI is and how it plays a role in college campuses taking a stand against racial injustice is Matus Janik. The Social Justice Initiative is actually an initiative or a campus-wide initiative uh, led by Provost Marcella David to design and kind of implement a college-wide, I guess, initiative or programming that's kind of focused around social justice and how it implements into our dialogue, our classes, and sort of our projects that we do as art students here at Columbia. So basically the social justice initiative will kind of take part in three different opportunities. So we'll see three different kinds of programming happen throughout the spring and later into the next year. But right now it's just kind of in its initial phase. So we'll start to see more happen, I guess, maybe in this semester and later on next year. When was SJI first announced? So yeah, SJI or Social Justice Initiative was first announced actually back in September of 2020. So I think it was a September 8th email sent by Dr. Kim. And this was basically kind of announcing also the anti-racism transformation team, which is, uh, I should just say ART, which is the short pretense for it. But ART was announced the same day, actually. And, you know, their work with Crossroads Anti-Racism Organizing and Training, which is actually a group that works on basically how to identify white supremacy power structures and different kind of racist power structures within kind of higher education and I guess in different kind of managerial positions. But basically that was the same day it was announced and these two initiatives are kind of coincided. So we talk about social justice initiative and anti-racism transformation team. We're sort of talking about on the same spectrum of things or I guess, I guess programs or initiatives or stuff that the college is planning but they also act in different ways. And could you elaborate then, because um, for our listeners, to clarify, the anti-racism transformation team is separate um, of the social justice initiative. I could break down the anti-racism transformation team first. And uh, basically that was announced actually back in September of 8th. And it's actually led by Rocky Monroe and Polamy Wilson, uh, co-directors of the Academic Diversity and Equity Inclusion Department. And basically, their job or their position in that group art is to basically look at white power structures and different racist power structures within the college's hierarchy. So we're not talking about stuff across campus specifically, like, you know, you're walking on the sidewalk or something that's happening in the South. We're more talking about behind the scenes and, you know, how can we make the 
college that we all go to and how do we make Columbia a better place for basically everyone. And what social justice initiative is doing is offering more campus-wide initiatives. So we're talking about programs that are allowing, you know, I guess exhibitions for artists and students to kind of come together and show their work, uh, different kinds of guest speakers, I guess more on the sense of Zoom. Uh, I'm not sure if they're gonna do in-person events yet, but I know they're, they're gonna have Zoom discussions and guest speakers come on there to have you know discussions on social justice and different things like that. And also um, from what I've heard, maybe some special events or opportunities. We don't know yet what that looks like, but it says there in the email and it also kind of relayed that back from the college. Why now, right? Because Columbia already has clubs that support minority communities such as BSU, the Black Student Union, um, Latino Alliance, Metro Hillel, um, the Trans Student Union, and many more. So why now is this important to the community as a whole? For why now, I, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone when we look back on 2020, when you know both of these initiatives were announced, so September 8th, when we think back then, I mean, we're still pretty deep in the pandemic. You know, we've just kind of witnessed a lot of police brutality, obviously the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and a lot of all these other black activists and members of the community. So when we're seeing this happen just in general across America and I guess in other countries as well, because we do see this internationally. But, you know, I think what the college is trying to do is just take a stance and just trying to put their foot forward into, you know, we want to help or we want to make a change here. And I guess, you know, there's kind of a double-edged sword to this. You know, they do want to help, but at the same time, we don't know what they're actually doing to help yet. But this is sort of that, you know, first step forward and kind of, you know, you do mention those student groups, which, I mean, it's good that you mentioned them, like BSU, Black Student Union, that's been around at the campus for like the past 40 years, past 30 years. It's been around for a while. So these are very organized and very like, I mean, They've been groups that have been here for probably longer than most of these higher administration folks. So I think that's important to incorporate them as well. And, you know, we see members of those groups kind of come into play like SOC. So Student Organizational Council, we talk about Isaiah Moore and how they are in, you know, art and they're a fellow of art and they're a student. So that's the thing that, you know, a lot of students from these groups or even just students on campus who want to get involved can get involved with anti-racism transformation team or even the social justice initiative. And how that looks yet, we don't know for SJI, but for art, we're starting to see more students involved. So, I mean, what I think is that they might not be working directly with these student groups, but I think in a way, shape or form, they are still having conversations with them. But if they're not, hopefully they will. Can you elaborate more? Because your article talks, um, you talked to a few leaders, student leaders of the school. And so what were their take on SJI being announced? A lot of the student leaders I talked with uh, mentioned earlier, Isaiah Moore. Uh, they're from the, uh, I think they're part of the Student Organizational Council. I don't know what role exactly because I'm blanking right now, but I talked with them. I talked with Kim Marie. Uh, she's the president of Black Student Union. I've also talked with Mikey Emmy from the Trans Student Union before, and also a founder and president from uh, Soul Sisters. It's a group of basically to empower and help Black women on campus. Uh, it's led by Leah Tolliver. And, it, you know, from my conversations with these people, obviously their opinion on or perspective, I guess, on social justice initiative and that whole, being, whole thing being announced is that really it's kind of what I've been saying this entire time. Like, you know, programs, guest speakers, exhibitions, you know, 
there's a lot of things that college can say and i'm i'm going purely like paraphrasing a lot of what these people have told me the college can say they're going to do a lot of things like programming exhibitions these events these opportunities but we won't know until we know and really we won't know how well they'll work until we know like you know it's one of those things where a college will organize an event and only four students will come and it'll be something about you know reimagining the college's future or you know redefining the master plan for construction on college campus though and there's only four students there so there's an issue there with student you know i guess maybe transparency communication i don't know but that's what a lot of these people talk about it's like is administration being transparent with us are they actually working with students to create this kind of programming or these initiatives because more times than not, we don't really see a lot of students interact with these programs or initiatives. SJI is still in the works. So because or since it's still in the works, where and when can people expect to, like people as in students and staff and faculty, um, learn more about how to get involved with this initiative? Right now, they're still planning on launching a website. I don't know if that website is up yet. But students can go on to about.colum, that's C-O-L-U-M dot E-D-U forward slash provost forward slash again. I know this is kind of long, but social justice initiative with hyphens in between social justice and justice and initiative. Thank you very much, Matus. And you can read the full story at columbiachronicle.com. Chicago's earliest COVID-19 vaccination phases have left out college educators. For those teaching in-person or hybrid classes and staff working on campus, this poses an issue. Governor J.B. Pritzker has announced a full-scale plan to get Illinois vaccinated, but most college instructors won't be eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine until Phase 1C, though their counterparts in primary schools can get their shots now. Here to talk about the state's vaccination plan and how you might have to wait a little longer to get the vaccine is Amaris Edwards. The phases of the vaccine rollout, it is phase 1A through phase 1C. Um, Phase 1A included healthcare workers, phase 1B included frontline and essential, and um, phase 1C included essential workers also, but Chicagoans around like the age of 16 to 64 with underlying medical conditions. Currently right now, we are on phase 1B. Um, It started January 25th and that's non-healthcare residentials, Chicagoans age 65 and older, essential workers, um, K through 12 educators, things like that. How are people prioritized? So how are the phases, like how are um, the people selected per priority? From just what I uh, looked at for the vaccine, it is people who, they prioritize people who are in close contact with other people. So first they started off with like nurses and people who are working in hospitals or people like living in hospitals or um, assisted living facilities. 
um, right now during this phase is more so like frontline workers. So just people who work at grocery stores. This also includes nurses. Um, a lot of schools have been opening back up. So like K through 12 educators, but just people who are in close contact, the, they prioritize in a way where it's people who are in close contact with people a little bit more. And then as the phases go on, it's people who are less, I guess, in close contact with people on a day-to-day -day basis. Your article focuses then, so takes what's happening on a city level and apply it and talk about it, what it means for Columbia faculty and staff. So taking those phases, what does that look like at the college level? The thing about the college level, like I said, in phase 1B, it includes educators, but it doesn't include college educators. And um Columbia right now for the spring semester, they're having a lot of or more in-person or hybrid classes. So this is a problem, you know, they are in close contact with students, not just teachers, but staff who works in these buildings and things of that nature, like they're in close contact on a day to day and they aren't in this phase or prioritizing this phase. Could you elaborate more than what, um, specifically the sources that you talked to, what did they say about what they liked and what they didn't like about the current situation of the vaccine rollout? I talked to um, Diana Valera, and she is a teacher at Columbia, a photography teacher, but she also is the president of the uh, CFAC, the faculty uh, union. And she was saying that, it's, she said it's a problem. The CFAC is in agreement that they wanna to try to get the vaccine as quickly as possible. And um, she was saying that the personally the CFAC with the help of Columbia College, they have been trying to contact um, government officials and the mayor to advocate for the school to get the vaccine a lot sooner than uh, expected. And same with um, Matthew Ryle. Um, they're a coordinator of the student support and engagement of the college, but they're also on the college COVID-19 um, committee. And they were just talking about how um, efforts are seen separate for faculty and staff, um, but they believe that also that they should be included into the uh, vaccine rollout plan. And was saying that the rollout plan almost feels as if the Hunger Games. Um, in regards to who gets it and when, when we're, everybody's in agreement that it is, it's needed soon. Where, as of now, where is the union standing with the college? What's been done to get them maybe protection or just closer to what the union wants? Valera was speaking on um, a memorandum of understanding. And what that is, is a negotiated agreement to help give the union protections and resources and also address part-time faculty concerns during the pandemic. And um, she said that there was one signed on January 29th. And that um, one thing that they do, they Valera said that um, there's still work to be done, but it is very helpful that these like arrangements are in place. Outside of the sources that you talk to, does the is the college aware of what others are saying, or like how are how is the college gauging others as in faculty and staff response to the vaccine? I um, talked to Lambrini Ritkis. She is the president of the strategic communication and external relations of the school. 
And she was explaining to me, um, as Valeria said earlier, that the school has been trying to work with the unions um, in regards to contacting. Um, they've joined calls in Springfield for inclusion, um, but also a confidential survey was sent out to faculty and staff to determine like when the vaccine um, is given to the school, like who would need it. And in this, um, it was taken, 70, 745 people filled it out on February 9th. And among faculty and staff, 90.2% responded yes, that they would like um, to get the vaccine. 4.0% responded no, that they would not like to get the vaccine from the college. And 5.8% responded that they were unsure. Thank you, Amherst, so much for all the information on this. To read Amherst's full article, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com. Dinosaurs and birds and bones? Oh my! The Field Museum has reopened. Located at 1400 South Lakeshore Drive, the museum closed November 20th when Governor J.B. Pritzker announced tighter COVID-19 restrictions, causing museums, theaters, and casinos statewide to close. On January 22nd, the museum reopened to the general public when Chicago moved to Tier 2 mitigations. The museum will continue its COVID-19 safety precautions, including mandatory mask usage, physical distancing, and limiting capacity to 25%. Hand sanitizing stations have been placed around the building, and interactive surfaces are closed to limit the number of objects touched. Here are what some patrons said when they visited the museum. I love the Field Museum. I feel like there's a lot to explore here. The exhibits we've seen have actually been super cool. The, um, like... Papua New Guinea one was the most interesting. The island ones were really interesting as well. That was Devin Brown, a 2016 music and radio interdisciplinary alum, and his girlfriend, Nali Asamoa, who spent their free day on a date visiting the Reinstein Halls of the Pacific exhibit. Amosa, who is a nurse, said that she's been watching Netflix to keep her entertained during quarantine, but going to the museum was one of her first outside activities since businesses have started reopening. Been pretty safe. Uh, like everybody, like masks are required. Um, people try to stay spaced out as they can in the exhibits, um, and then they like shut down all of the touchscreen stuff and like all the touch service stuff like that. Uh, but I feel like, I mean, it has changed, but I feel like it is still like interactive, and you get the basis of the museum. So. Elizabeth Villarell and Jeff Luo, students at the University of Illinois Chicago said that they had trouble finding things to do together since many businesses have been closed. So when the two learned the museum had reopened, Villarell said that the two had to go. Coming back here again after a long time, like everything like feels like new and exciting again, if that makes sense. Upcoming free admission days for Illinois residents include February 22nd, February 25th, and March 8th. You can read the full story at ColumbiaChronicle.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out these stories and more at ColumbiaChronicle.com. For additional coverage, we're at CC Chronicle on Instagram and Twitter. 
Chronicle Headlines is made possible by a collaboration with the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of Suzanne McBride, Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. Until next time, I'm your host, Paige Barnes.